Section 15 of Stories of the First American Animals. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dana Patterson, Lexington Park, Maryland. Stories of the First American Animals by George Langford. Manatus, the Merman of the Chesapeake. Part 1. Once upon a time, over one million years ago, the site of Washington, our national capital, faced directly upon the Atlantic Ocean. Southeastern Maryland was at that time submerged and formed a huge sandbar on the eastern side of the Chesapeake Bay. A river flowing southeastward somewhere below Washington emptied into the bay. This river has long since disappeared, filled in with the accumulations of ages, and few know that it ever existed. The lower portion near its mouth was a broad estuary gradually contracting to a narrow stream further inland near its source. This upper portion was the river of mystery. Here dense woodlands formed almost inaccessible barriers on both sides of the restricted channel. The tall, closely packed trees extended their branches and leaf masses from either bank, thus forming a vaulted roof, thick and impenetrable to outside light. Beneath it, the river flowed lazily onward, a thick, sluggish sewer, more dismal and forbidding than the rank mustiness through which it crept. The silence was unbroken, except for the faint sighing of leaves overhead and an occasional plop, as some loathsome denizen of this place of darkness dropped into the murky pool from overhanging branch or vine. The river of mystery seemed in truth a river of death and yet eyes keen enough to penetrate far into its depths might have observed a dark form gliding downstream over its bed, leaving only an occasional air bubble upon the surface above and behind it to mark its course. It was a large torpedo-shaped body of almost fish-like form, but it is not given for fishes to leave air bubbles behind them, such as do mammals or creatures with air-breathing lungs and warm red blood. Straight and swift as an arrow, the unknown sped downstream without once coming to the surface. Gradually, the river widened, and the leaf arch above it parted to admit the warm sunshine. The two shorelines diverged and subsided into low-lying levees, becoming rapidly denuded of forest growth as the mysterious submarine creature sped swiftly down the central channel. Another half-league from brackish to salty water, and he would have passed the mouth of the estuary, and entered the Atlantic Ocean. But at this point his pace slackened, and he deflected his course upward as though to greet the warm sun rising from the vast, white-capped expanse of water toward which he swam. The torpedo body rose slowly to the surface, and a round, pudgy head emerged into the open air, noiselessly and without splash or ripple, as though the water had been freshly oiled. A pair of eyes, almost buried in blubber and bristles, gazed long and wistfully at the open sea. The waves, breaking on the margin of the estuary, seemed to be beckoning. The murmur of their soft voices upon the beaches sounded. But, although the unknown looked at the siren waves and listened to their pleading, he merely snorted and shook his head. Not yet. The ocean waves must wait their proper time. His gaze slowly shifted from them to the southwestern border of the estuary, the last land refuge between himself and the broad Atlantic. Two thick flaps on either side of his muzzle lifted, 
and he sucked in mighty breaths of air through widely distended nostrils. Then the nose flaps closed, the round head settled beneath the waves, and the mysterious swimmer disappeared in the depths of the estuary as noiselessly as he had emerged. The southwestern shore of the estuary was sun-swept and bare, in marked contrast to the dark forested banks of its more inland portion, the River of Mystery. It was a place of rocks, the latter rising abruptly from the narrow sandy beach. Also, it was a rookery, where all manner of water birds made their homes. Two of them, Puffina, the gull, and Sula, the booby, had flown down from the rookery and were standing side by side upon the sand, watching the ripples which occasionally washed over their webbed feet. Puffina, the gull, was much the smaller bird, although her wing expanse nigh equaled that of her larger companion. She was a genuine sea-lover, one who flew far out over the water, while Sula was an ungainly individual, who fancied the ocean merely for the fish that were in it. She really feared the wind and wave, and therefore rarely ventured beyond the sight of land. Puffina and Sula were two of the rookery's most active spirits. They were ardent fisherwomen, too, and nobody could tell them anything new about the finny creatures or any other living things that swam in the sea. They were a restless pair, confirmed gossips, and busybodies of the marine feathered world. Although mischievous, nobody could really call them bad birds, for they did little harm and often served many useful purposes, keeping the beaches clear of dead fish and such things. However, their sharp tongues were forever wagging and sometimes caused no end of trouble. At the moment we come upon them, both birds had recently indulged their regular morning fish diet, and now that their appetites were appeased, they seemed in a bad way for something to do. They had stood there upon the beach, inactive for at least five minutes, and that is saying a good deal as far as they are concerned. Puffina was racking her brain for some new form of amusement. Everything is so dreadfully quiet, she whistled. I have half a mind to fly out into the ocean to see what the whales are doing. The sharks are about as far as I'll get, said the booby, but you won't find me skimming the water near them as you do with the whales. They are just mean enough to bite one's feet off if given a chance. The toothed whales are almost as bad, replied Gull. They will eat... She stopped suddenly and said in a low voice, Where did that creature come from? See how it stares at us? Both birds gazed at that which protruded from the water several rods distant. They had been gazing some time in that direction, but the object had appeared so unostentatiously that several moments elapsed before they noticed it. A seal, muttered Sula. She judged wrongly. Although the round object was a head, it differed greatly from a seal's. The small eyes were almost hidden behind a huge, fleshy muzzle sewn thickly with heavy bristles. This muzzle was split from top to bottom, forming two bulbous halves. The head now rose higher from the water, giving a view of the neck and shoulders, which were no more than a continuation of the thick round body to which were attached a pair of hand-like flippers. The unknown sat or treaded water with these hand flippers folded across his chest. In this position he remained motionless staring at the two birds. It was as though the old man of the sea had arisen from the depths to tell of their dark secrets. 
Sula and Puffina were almost overcome with surprise. They forgot what their wings and feet were made for and remained rooted to the beach like tree stumps unable to move. And yet it was not fear they felt, rather awe, of the mysterious stranger who had appeared before them so quietly and unheralded. By this time the unknown had set himself in motion and was drifting slowly toward the beach. Now the lower portion of his body grounded in the shallow water and he settled into a horizontal position. Then, with much effort, he dragged himself up the sand until he was high and dry. Puffina and Sula watched him in his actions with much interest. He was a water animal, as easily could be seen by the fuss he made moving along the sand. His efforts in that respect were attended with much puffing and blowing. His form, in general, was similar to that of a seal, and he had flippers too, although their detail was peculiar and unseal-like. They looked like hands encased in big mittens. Also, the rear part of him was distinctive enough, even at a glance, to put him in a class by himself. He had no hair, hind limbs, or fins of any kind, and in this respect he might have passed as a small whale had it not been for his tail. This was attached to his body in true whale style, flat to the water, not upright as in the sharks and fishes, but instead of the broad double-bladed fluke worn by all up-to-date whales, his tail was as round and flexible as a palm-leaf fan. Sula and Puffina absorbed all of these details while the stranger rested and gazed at them with ponderous dignity. He said nothing, and the two birds, who were given too much squawking and fluttering on the slightest provocation, soon became nervous at his continued oppressive silence. Finally, when he closed his eyes as though preparing to doze, Sula could no longer restrain herself. Who? What are you? she asked. The unknown stared somewhere through her and past her. Umph, he grunted languidly and again closed his eyes. Um, squawked Sula in a rage. If there is anything else you can say, please say it. To this the stranger showed no resentment whatever. He did not even open his eyes again as he grunted in a deep voice, Go away and let me sleep. This was the last straw. Never had Sula been so exasperated, and that is saying a good deal, for the petrels and cormorants and pelicans sometimes nearly teased the life out of her. She sprang into the air and flew squawking away without so much as saying goodbye to Puffina, who had always been her best friend. The gull was not a little amused at her companion's discomfiture. He seems a simple and peaceable sort, she thought. I see no reason to be angry with him. If I remain here until he awakens, perhaps he will feel more like talking, and I can learn more about him. So she waited around for what seemed like an eternity of time. However, the unknown awoke at last. The first thing he saw was the gull standing within two yards of his nose. Are you hungry? asked Puffina. Now that you have rested, how would you like something to eat? This was a sort of hit-or-miss way of starting a conversation. Perhaps the unknown's generous waist girth suggested it, but anyhow, it struck home. Eat, was his animated response. I certainly will. Where are the feeding grounds? 
There, answered Puffina, gazing toward the ocean. The waters are filled with fish. Fish? Ugh, I never eat such things, replied the unknown, screwing up his face into a wrinkled knot. His eyes rolled wildly and finally came to rest, looking at the gull crisscrossed over his nose. The two halves of his upper lip parted widely and then came together with a loud swat. Puffina was startled, to say the least. Whales, birds, fishes, none of the creatures she knew ever made faces like that. Gradually, the stranger's expression resumed its former stolidity. He opened his mouth wide, thereby displaying a total absence of front teeth, and said in a deep voice, No, I never eat fish. I am a vegetable feeder and prefer seaweed growing green and fresh beneath the waters. Seaweed? Puffina was astonished. No animal she knew of ate such stuff. Her curiosity became overpowering. Who are you? What brought you here? she inquired. What brought me? I wonder. The unknown was silent a few moments, gazing intently toward the ocean. It seems, though, I heard a voice calling he said earnestly. It was the same voice that called me to the water, when long, long ago I made my home on the land. A land animal? Are you? Were you one? The gull asked. Perhaps, was the answer delivered dubiously and in tones of deep regret. But the past is done with. Again I hear that voice calling me to go and do it. Go where? Do what? My life has ever been a quiet and simple one, the unknown replied dreamily. Never have I dared venture beyond the river's dark, cramped confines into the vast unknown. But now something urges. The foam-topped waves and ocean breezes are calling me. The bite of the seawater makes my blood boil. It was as though a wave of light had swept the darkness away from the gull's eyes. The sea! The sea! she exclaimed joyfully. Now I know how you feel. It means more to me than life itself. You who have known only the warm, tasteless river will never return to it once you have lived in the ocean water. Come, I will fly to it and point you the way. The stranger shivered and looked at the sand beneath him. I cannot. I dare not, he mumbled. I seek and yet I dread change. A change for the better, said the gull. You will not want for companions. There may be many there of your own kind. The stranger shuddered and mumbled something unintelligible, then began backing toward the water. Puffina saw that he was about to depart. It suddenly occurred to her that in a few moments he would be gone without her learning who or what he was. Your own people may be there, she said. I know most of the ocean dwellers. Are you a seal? Evidently not, for the unknown displayed no interest. He had shifted his position until he floated full length in the shallow water. A whale, perhaps! The unknown shook his head. He had now backed to beyond his depth, and his body was in an upright position with only its upper body visible. Porpoise! The gull fairly screamed, and for the third time she aroused no interest. The unknown's nose flaps lifted. In a moment, he would be gone. Then who are you? cried the now thoroughly aroused gull. How do you call yourself, you who claim to be neither porpoise, seal, or whale? 
tell me quickly before you go. The unknown's nostrils gaped wide and sucked in a long, deep breath. Then the flaps closed. Manatus, he replied in a low voice, and his head slowly sank beneath the surface, leaving not a ripple to mark the spot where it had gone down. End of section 15. Recording by Dana Patterson of Lexington Park, Maryland.